If you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to 1 Kings chapter 2. The book of 1 Kings chapter 2. And if you will, find verse 28, and we'll read beginning at that verse. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28. As I announced this morning, the message is simply entitled, The Man Who Came to the Altar Too Late. The Man Who Came to the Altar Too Late. I never liked the sound of the words, too late. It brings a chill to my heart. But oh, how many have waited too late to find the blessing of God in their life. But here we find in 1 Kings chapter 2 the basis for our message tonight. At verse 28, the scripture reads, Then tidings came to Joab. For Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. Absalom was the son of David. Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. And Benaniah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaniah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said, and fall upon him, simply meaning kill him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, And slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab, and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Ben and I, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon him and slew him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we bow in thy presence, we recognize that mere words will never accomplish what needs to be done. I realize and recognize with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit must breathe upon us and breathe the message to the hearts of the people. Open our hearts, dear Lord. We have need tonight, and we pray that you will shake us up and make us aware of the brevity of time that we have in which to turn from our sin and from ourselves. Be glorified in this hour, honor thy word, and lift up the name of Jesus, in whose dear name we humbly pray, amen. 
Before us is a very, very sad picture. Is the picture of Joab stretched out across a bloody, soaked altar. Joab was stabbed while at the altar. He waited too late to come to that place. Joab was literally trying to flee from death. The death warrant had already been signed and sealed and announced. Joab understood that. And thus he fled to the tabernacle, to the house of God, and clung to the horns of the altar. But that was no refuge for this man, for he had waited far too late. Joab is an unusual man. He is described by many a Bible scholar as an over-ambitious man, and I think you would agree with that as you read the story in the Bible of this man, Joab. Joab was the first person in his own thoughts. He was a self-centered man. He thought of himself. His apparent devotion to David the king had one objective apparently and namely that objective was that he himself should have first place. He was in love with himself. Ben Franklin said so ably uh, these words, when a man falls in love with himself, he has no rivals. Joab was in love with himself. He murdered those who actually stood in the way of his preeminence as the leader of the host of Israel. Yet Joab was a very skilled general. If you'll read the story and the history of Joab, you'll find that he won many, many victories as he fought as the head of the army of David. He was loyal to the house of David. Yet he was guilty of a vindictive kind of spirit and he was ruthless and cruel in his own actions toward others. And as you look at the scripture, you'll find that undoubtedly Joab never really manifests a real faith in the God of Israel. He was a religious man. He was a man who followed after David, but yet no apparent, real, genuine faith in the Lord God. He was a man who was full of self-confidence, a man who was full of ambition, but yet a man who was filled with selfishness in his own heart. Joab never really got far away from his own self-interest. This is the man then who literally, according to the scripture and our message tonight, came to the altar too late. There are three things I want you to think with me about tonight, and they are simply these. There is a false repentance, there is a true repentance, and there is a repentance that comes too late. There is indeed a false repentance. And that false repentance seems to be a mark in the life of Joab as he comes now into the temple of God, the tabernacle, and he falls before the altar, yet there is a false repentance. As you look back in the Bible, you'll find that there are others who were guilty of that false repentance. Pharaoh himself was guilty of a false repentance. 
Look, if you have your Bible and can quickly turn back to pardon me, Exodus chapter 10 at verse number 16. In Exodus chapter 10 at verse 16, you will read words like these. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now this is after the locust, the plague of the locust had come. And he says, now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Pharaoh's repentance was not a genuine repentance. It was from his lips, but not from his heart. For he longed and did cling to the children of Israel, unwilling to let them go. You see, it is the action of a fella that really proves genuine repentance. It is not the articulation of somebody. It is not simply the lips, but it is the life that proves whether or not a person has literally and genuinely repented. I think of Balaam, that prophet in the book of Numbers, chapter 22. You're familiar with the story. Balak came down and tried to get Balaam to come up and curse the people of God, but yet Balaam could not do so. And you'll find that even Balaam came to the place where he confessed, but yet when he confessed the wrong that he had been doing, his eyes still seemed to be on the gold that Balak was offering him. He tried again and again to go up and do that thing for Balak had promised him wealth. He had promised him position. He had promised him, could I say, an honorary doctorate degree from the University of Balak. But the whole story was Balaam, Balaam, though he admitted his wrong back in Numbers 22 and verse 34, he even said to the angel, I have sinned. That angel who had stood before him and kept he and his donkey from moving ahead. Balaam's repentance was not a genuine repentance. I think of a third, a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. You remember how after he had sold the Lord Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver, he comes now back to the chief priest and the, and the, uh, in the temple. And the Bible says that he cries out, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He throws down the 30 pieces of silver that ring like cathedral bells across the, uh, across that very temple. But Judas confessed his sin to the wrong people. It was not the priest against whom he had sinned. It was against the Lord Jesus. And I've said very often, I believe if Judas had gone to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you and I ask your forgiveness, I believe our Lord would have forgiven him. But instead he goes in a false way to the wrong crowd and confesses his sin. There's many a person who does so, they confess because they have been found out or because somehow they fear the ultimate consequence of what they have done. But these are illustrations in the Bible of false repentance. But not only is there a false repentance, my friend, there is a true repentance. Thank God for that. 
You remember the story so well in Luke chapter 18 uh, of the publican and the Pharisee uh, who went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee boasted of all of his goodness, but the old publican uh, uttered these words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He made no excuses. He knew what he was. He knew what he needed. He knew where to find it. And thank God he knew when he got it. The whole story is this man's repentance was genuine. He came with a heart that was humbled before God. And the person who comes in genuine repentance must come with an humble heart. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. I think of another in the New Testament, fellow by the name of Zacchaeus. I believe Zacchaeus' repentance was genuine and true. The Bible said in Luke 19 and verse 6, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He also, as a result of that genuine repentance, was willing to make restitution. I mean, he said, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him four times what I've taken from him. He believed in restoring. He believed in getting things right. And I'll guarantee you when a man is truly repented before God, he'll want to make things right with other people. He'll want to make things right with those around him, with those in the family, those in the, on the work, at the workplace, those in the church. I believe true repentance will cause a fellow's actions to show it. In Luke chapter 15, there's the beautiful story of the prodigal son. That boy who had run away and taken all that the father had given him and squandered it, wasted in riotous, ungodly, loose from restraint living. And finally one day he comes to himself. Would to God some people had come to themselves today. Oh, how we need people to wake up and realize that sin is the greatest enemy you have ever had in your lifetime. Sin destroys the soul, the spirit, like cancer does the body. The whole truth is this fellow, when he recognized he had done wrong and now he's down in abject poverty in that old hog lot, he said when he came to himself. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, I, I, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. I've always pointed this out. The son did not only give, have good intention. He not only simply said, I'm going to, but verse 20 of chapter 15 says, and he arose and came to his father. There's so many people who have good intentions. There are some of you right here tonight, there are things in your life and you have fully intended to get them right with God. But all the real blessing comes when you arise and you do what you know God is calling you to do. So here is an illustration of true repentance. But let me mention last of all that there is a repentance that comes too late. I think of the days of Noah. For all those days, Noah proclaimed the message of God. He warned people that judgment was coming. People had no time to listen. They laughed, they scorned. They thought it was some kind of fairy tale. But one day the clouds began to hover. And the lightning struck and the thunders rolled and rumbled. And soon water came out of the sky. 
and rain poured down and the fountains of the deep were broken up. And now people realized uh, that Noah had been telling the truth all along. They run to the ark and there began to beat on the door and cry, Noah, open to us, open to us. And Noah had to simply say, I didn't close the door, God closed it. It's too late now. It's too late. The invitation was open. The day and hour of grace was yours, but you didn't do anything about it. You refused. You turned your back. Oh, they came, and I believe their repentance. Oh, we've been wrong, Noah. We've made fun of you. We've mocked you. We've had no time for you. We thought you were some kind of an idiot, some kind of a nut telling us a flood was coming. Oh, we're sorry, and we repent of the wrong that we've done. But it is too late to do anything about it. How sad a story. I think of the foolish virgins in Matthew or in, in Matthew chapter 25. The Bible tells the beautiful story of those ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish, five took oil in their vessels. Five, uh, the five went out to meet the bridegroom. And when the cry came forth, behold, the bridegroom comes. The foolish virgins said, our lamps have gone out. We didn't bring sufficient oil. Give us of your oil, the wise virgin said. Go and buy for yourself, lest there be not enough for us and you. And when they went away, the bridegroom came. And now these foolish virgins come back and, they're, uh, and they want to enter into the chamber. But now the word is, I do not know you. My friend, there is a moment when it is too late to repent. There's a moment when it's too late in your life to turn and say, Oh God, I'm sorry. Death comes, it's too late. Eternity you face, it's too late to stand before God and say, Lord, I really meant to do it and I'm doing it now. And the Lord's saying, I know you're not. I think finally of that rich man in Luke chapter 16. What a sad story we find about a rich man and Lazarus. The Bible tells that Lazarus died and the angels carried him away into the bosom of Abraham. That is the place of rest. But the rich man died and was buried and in hell, the scripture says, he lift up his eyes. And the Bible reads like this in verse 24 of Luke 16. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Too late to cry for mercy, Mr. Rich Man. Your repentance has come too late. You cry now for mercy when the door of mercy was open before, but now death has come and taken you out into eternity, and it's too late now. Oh, how many people have waited too late to make things right with others. I've seen people at funeral services know how many times I could not tell you. And I've seen them brokenhearted and weeping and saying to a mother or father, to a grandparent, to an in-law, and saying to them, I'm sorry, I want you to forgive me. I want to tell you something, it's too late then, it's too late. And because it's too late, you'll carry the weight and the burden and the guilt of your feeling and of your anger and of your resentment the rest of your life. Oh, listen, it's too late. I've told you the story, I think, in years past. We had a neighbor by the name, we called her Miss Reba. Such a sweet neighbor and a lovely person. 
My mother was, uh, 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 my mom was a, a wonderful soul winner. I mean, she witnessed everybody. She had witnessed the standard coffee man. She had witnessed to the mayo man. She won many of the folks around to the Lord Jesus. And I remember one day when a man died in our community. And I'll never forget Miss Reba coming up to the house and saying to Mama, Bertha, do you think he was saved? And Mama said, Reba, it's too late now. You should have asked him before. You should have asked him before he died if he knew the Lord and you could have led him to Christ then. Oh, listen to me, folks. I've seen again young fellows and young girls in a family as a mother or dad has died and they've wept over that casket and said, Dad, forgive me. Mama, forgive me. I didn't mean to bring such hurt and misery and, uh, to your life. Forgive me. But their lips are silent now. Their heart does not beat anymore. I want to tell you, you can wait too late. There may be somebody right here today. God's speaking to you about a ministry. God's calling you to do something for him. Don't wait till it's too late. I mean, set your plow in the field right now and start plowing. And if God takes you before the plow, before the rose finished, thank God you're headed in the right direction. But don't wait till it's too late. Tonight, if God speaks to your heart, I don't listen, don't wait. It can be too late. Some of you God's been dealing with about tithing. You didn't think I'd get on that, did you? You've been thinking about it. God's been dealing with you about it. Listen, don't wait till it's too late. Do what God's asked you to do now. If there's sin in your life, confess it now. Don't wait until it's too late and there's, and there's no more opportunity. Poor Joab lies now on that bloody altar. Daggers that have been stuck in his body and he's gone. Joab... You waited too late to come to the altar. Oh, you waited far too late. Now I'm talking to somebody here tonight, some member of this church, some child of God, and God's dealt with you about your life and your unfaithfulness and your lack of commitment to him. Don't wait till it's too late. Do it while there's breath in your body. Do it while the heart is beating and the blood flows in your veins. Do it now. Don't wait until it's too late to come to an altar and make things right. Don't wait till it's too late to go put your arms around that person you have had some kind of animosity toward. Ill feelings, resentment. Don't wait till it's too late. Go to them and put your arm around them and say, I've been wrong and my feelings have not been right and I, I ask you to forgive me. Do it now while they can in return say, I do. I forgive you. Oh, God, help us not to wait till it's too late. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please. There's maybe somebody here tonight and you have never been saved. I don't know your hearts. I know everybody here. But I don't really know your heart. And I hope if God's dealing with you, you'll not wait till it's too late. Some of you had sharp tongues and you've spoken harshly to people. Oh, don't wait till it's too late to straighten that out. Don't wait till it's too late. Some of you, husbands and wives, you need to say to each other, I'm sorry. I've been so headstrong, so self-centered. And I'm sorry 
I want you to forgive me. You'd be surprised what a beautiful life you could have if you'd not wait until it's too late. I pray you'll do that. I pray you'll do that. Let's stand as we pray together, please. Everyone standing and let's pray. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart about the altar in this church. You may need to come and just tell the Lord some things in your heart. Some of you, you're going to wait too late to witness to an unsaved loved one or friend. Don't wait too late. Don't wait to tell them about Jesus, to give them a gospel track, to invite them to the house of God. Oh, the pain of heart when that person's gone and you realize you've waited too long, too late to tell them about Jesus. I pray that God will help you to make that move he's laid on your heart tonight. Father, I thank you for thy word, for the challenge of it. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us not to wait until it's too late. Help us, oh, Lord, to take advantage of the moment and to settle things in our heart, settle things between loved ones, friends, acquaintances, fellow workers, fellow students. Jesus, just help us to not wait too long and let it be too late. And I'll thank you now for those who come this night and bow at this altar early, not too late, but to do what you've asked them to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Heads are bowed. Let's sing the first stanza of I Surrender All. And as we sing it, if God's been dealing with about something in your life, listen, folks. God, hear me, hear me, folks. Don't wait too late. Don't keep putting this thing up. You could put it off tonight and it'd be too late tomorrow. Tonight, if God's speaking to your heart about any matter, this altar's open right here. I pray you'll come while we sing together prayerfully on the first stanza.